1: Aren't you forgetting the ruby slippers?
2: Well, You're guilty of nothing!
0: I'm going to Sean!
2: I hereby christen this budget Barbie Camper, Priscilla.
0: Is butter a curb?
2: I won't!
3: Don't put a bra in a dryer!
0: This is gonna get me my third Tony Award!
2: You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. For the first time in ages, Conrad, Gina, Alan and Daniel all with you today. We have the full team in the studio because we are celebrating the Melbourne International Film Festival on Outtakes today. Myth is one of the calendar highlights here in Melbourne. Indeed, in Australia, it brings together the most exciting international and local cinematic fair. And this year is no different. This year, get this, more than 200 feature films, more than 120 short films. That's more than 370 films to see in just three weeks. Of course, the festival kicked off on the 4th of August and it runs right through to the 21st of August in cinemas and the 28th of August online. So to celebrate Myth today, we have a jam-packed program. We're being joined later by Goran Stalewski, who is the director of the opening night film of An Age. Now, this is an exciting, fresh, tender queer film. So we're thrilled to have Goran Stalewski, who himself is based in Melbourne, on the program today to look at this new film. We're also being joined by Kate Fitzpatrick, Myth programmer who joins us to talk about Melbourne on Film, cinema that defines our city. Now this is the anniversary book that has been published by Myth to celebrate its 70th anniversary. This is the 70th year of Myth. So such a big year and this book commemorates that. So we're excited to be looking at that book as well later in the program. And if that wasn't enough, we're also being joined by Craig Borham, who is no stranger to outtakes. Craig joined us a few years ago to talk about about his film teenage kicks and he joins us again this year to talk about his new film lonesome which screens at the melbourne international film festival so gina conrad Alan, big program today
1: always exciting to um talk about the melbourne international film festival we're just so spoiled um the quality of films world-class film festival in our own backyard it's something that i don't think any of us ever take for granted
4: no, it's definitely, there's something there for everyone. You know, reading through the program, you know, I didn't feel so bad to sort of skimming over things like, no, 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 uh, not for me. Oh, yes, this one's for me. <laughs> not for me. No, no, no. So, you know, because you are absolutely spoiled for choice. And I was struck at the time, I was thinking, you know what, in, in these days of complicated overseas travel, why would you bother? This is the best way of seeing the world and actually truly experiencing a true taste of culture in that particular country. I mean, I, I can think it's of a few, different.
2: I can think of a few reasons, Al, why you would bother, but I fully accept the point. It's great. A slice bother. of life from every corner the of the, of the globe.
4: International travel for the next couple of years is just going to be really hard work. Don't bother. Go to, go to me <laughs> instead.
0: I just, I feel like this program, like the last few years, it feels like every program and, and every festival, COVID is always front and center in the programming and the experience. And this is the first time I'm seeing a program where I'm like, it feels like it's back to normal. And I love that they haven't ditched me so there's a lot of festivals around the world that are actually starting to drop their online content and a lot of people who festivals haven't been accessible for for multitudes of reasons have been really upset and Mythplay Play's still going and it's still going to be running so it's still going to be an option for people to go to see things online in the safety or comfort of their home um, or they can go to the festival but I kind of love that it feels like a festival where, you know, like it was a few years ago
2: We had Al Kosa, the artistic director of the festival on the program a few weeks ago, and he had some really interesting things to say about exactly that. I mean, for Al, this is the the first year that the festival is at full capacity. Essentially, it's a full program again. And he said it's been about three years since the festival ran a full program and 370 films. I mean, how could that not be a full program? But apart from that, there are a bunch of in-person experiences. Of course, as usual, a great number of talks. There's a lot to do and feel a part of as a community at the festival which is really exciting but again al did comment on the fact that they've decided to keep MythPlay play exactly as you said gina because for the festival one of its key purposes is to bring international and local film to audiences around the state and indeed the country and that's what it's doing with MythPlay. play so MythPlay play is of course the festival's online platform it makes about 100 of the 370 films showing at the festival available online. You can watch them anywhere in the country. And it does democratise the festival. It makes these films accessible to people who, for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable going into a cinema. And as I think a program that's dedicated to queer film and the queer experience of cinema... I mean, I think we know how valuable that can be, oftentimes, for whatever reason, as a queer person, you don't feel comfortable watching a film in line, in cinema, whether that's because you're not out, you don't feel that it's a safe space for whatever reason, having these films accessible online can mean a lot to a lot of people.
1: I was just saying to Gina before we got started as well, you know the amazing thing about this year's festival is that the opening and closing night films. Are not only both Australian, but they're both queer, as well, which I don't think I've ever seen in the history of Myth, or not that I've known of. Um, the lineup of queer or um, LGBTIQ films um, this year is um, really admirable, as always. They've always got a really interesting selection, but I think you know, knowing that um, how excited people are to see of an age and also clean the closing night film. And that they're both Melbourne based Australian queer content. It's just such a cool thing to see.
0: Al always does a brilliant job. This festival just feels like, you know, we're home again. I don't know, it's lovely.
2: But I want to come back, I want to come back to this idea of um, the queer offerings at the Melbourne International Film Festival. And one of the things that I think, um, For me, the interesting thing about the festival is that the queer thread in the program runs significantly well beyond the LGBTIQ lineup of films. And that's one of the things I love about the Melbourne International Film Festival. There is a queer slant to the, an inclusive slant to the offerings at the festival and, and, you know, Conrad, you were talking about the emphasis on Melbourne in this year's festival, and clearly that's because this is the festival's 70th year. And one of the ways they've decided to celebrate that is by spotlighting the way that film has celebrated Melbourne and Melbourne has celebrated film, right? And I think that's great for the 70th anniversary. But if you look at the Melbourne on Film strand of films, so many of those films... Are themselves inherently queer Anna Kokkinis' Head On is screening again this year The Home Song Stories is screening Barbara Creed's Homosexuality, a film for discussion There are so many great queer gems They're not even part of the queer lineup at the festival And yet they're threaded and gemmed throughout the festival offering So it's a really exciting program It always is And it always has a really interesting queer thread And this year is no different
0: Because you're of an age, Daniel, (laughs) Uh, the rest of us might remember a gorgeous film, which is the most quintessential 90s Melbourne film, which is Love and Other Catastrophes. Um, It was a film that I took someone to a first date on at the Kino Cinema, you know, all those, what, 30, what? no, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, which is all about Melbourne, Melbourne cafes on Brunswick Street, Melbourne University, share houses, film studio. Like it is the most gorgeous kind of like, it was kind of, how would you describe that film? It wasn't just queer. Like it just had naturally queer characters in there. It wasn't just a queer, like it was just a gorgeous film and I'm so excited that it is playing at the festival.
4: It's almost Australia's Gen X at that time. It is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In
4: many ways.
1: Or a a distinctly Melbournean one at that. Yeah. It was of its time and it really captured that 20 year old, like, you know, 20s experience. It's so good. Such
0: good. Such a great film. Daniel, I, I. I recommend that you you go and see this.
4: But also, too, there are also some other gems yeah. from the Australian archive. So, you know, Death in Brunswick,
0: <gasps> Moving uh, Out by Jan Sardi with a very young Vince Colosimo. Oh my goodness! <gasps> yeah, so, yes.
4: so films that you may have heard about but have never had an opportunity to view. Here's now's your chance. So that that's what I was doing I was flicking through the program I'm going oh wow I've heard about that film never seen it never yep. you know all these classic yep. Australian films very art house very indie and, and here they are so I think it's a great opportunity to dive in and and uh get some Australian
1: history I love when you go out. through the when you go through the myth program and you're looking to see what you want to see and you can filter things out and you yeah. go to the genre part of it to you know see if there's certain things and it's just like If you couldn't find something in here to watch, I would feel very sorry for you. I would think that there's other issues going on. Well, talking about genres, you know,
4: usually the first thing I do is after, you know, the the rainbow genre, I go straight through and I pick to the period pieces. Of course you do,
0: my darling. Pick
4: on period. (laughs) And can I tell you, I was very disappointed. I thought, that's not a period piece. That's not a period piece. And then I go, right, I'm going to have to resort to drama. And that's where, you know, it is a drama. That's usually, to drama. that's your that's, go-to, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I found my, my period pieces. And, of course, you know, there is one film that I'm really looking forward to seeing. And, well, uh, what,
2: what is that film, Al?
4: Well, it's, that's Corsage. It's a film about... Of
1: the course
2: life, it is. Of course it is. About <laughs> the about the life of, uh, of
4: Empress Sissi. So she was the empress of um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And so, you know, she's, she's kind of like the Princess Diana of her day, if I was to use a modern-day equivalent. But this film has been touted to actually be much more true to life, very gritty, the inner world rather than the glossy glamour. So we actually get to see it who she really is as a person, the complicated, nuanced person that she was. It is getting some very good reviews and and, uh, and, and it's on a number of uh, must-see watch lists
0: for, for MIF. Whereas I'm really, I don't like horror. See, genre, if I had to pick on genre, I'd avoid the horror category. But I stumbled because it's one of the kind of Australian films that's because I go Australian or LGBT. And the film I'm looking forward to that usually I would not pick if I went to genre is the film Sissy, which is an Australian horror film, you know, kind of, a, you know, full genre, cabin in the woods kind of horror. But it's told from a queer female lens and it just looks a bit, black funny you know just really kind even remember daniel monks who we've had on the show before for one of his films he um stars in it as well but it just looks like a film that i would have skipped over if i just went on the genre stuff so sissy which has quite a few screenings um throughout the festival
1: you know me i always um once i've done the same as you Alan, looked at what's on offer from the queer perspective i go straight to the documentaries Um, There's tons of really great documentaries this year, as always. Um, The music ones look really fascinating. There's one about KLF and Sinead O'Connor. But the one that I'm really excited to see is We Were Once Kids, which is kind of like a behind-the-scenes of the making of Larry Clark's film Kids, which um, kind of was really groundbreaking in the 90s at the time. introduced us to a very young Chloe Sevigny. Rosario um, Dawson? was Rosario Dawson um, and just was like a real cultural moment. Um, I remember seeing it and thinking, oh my god, I can relate to some of this, but some of it is just so intense. Um, The documentary kind of dives into what happened to some of the key players in that film. Obviously not uh, great things in some cases. But, yeah, such a cool thing to have in there. Um, but, yeah, so many good documentaries on offer. What was could, the
0: title of that one again? We Were Once my, Kids. We Were Once Kids. You picked my interest there. Yeah. So we can't go past good code mm, Gina. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: We are about halfway through the festival at the moment. Uh, the film that kicked it all off was Goran Stalewski's Of An Age. Now, Goran Stolesky in Of An Age delivers... Uh, a heart meltingly tender quintessentially melbourne queer coming of age tale that will according to the uh, according to the festival program it will make you swoon from beginning to end here's the the praise of steleski's new film quote it's the summer of 1999 and two teens fresh out of high school reserved serbian born nikola and fiery Ebony are partners for a dance competition. On the big day, Nicola gets a distressed call from Ebony, asking to be rescued from the other side of town, so he enlists her brother, the charming Adam, to take him there. On the drive, amid traffic and amicable swagger, the two young men discover a mutual spark, but Adam is leaving the country in 24 hours, so the film, like the weekend before it, is uh, tactile, it's funny, it's heartfelt, it captures the hinterland of suburbia, the strains of immigrant families and the crossroads of desire. Stileski, Gina, I just, I think it's such a pity you didn't get to speak to Goran because... He's a, he's a Melbourne uh, filmmaker, Melbourne-based filmmaker. He studied at the University of Melbourne some 20 years ago. He's been making short films and all of a sudden he's pumped out three critically acclaimed films or he's working on his third. They're still in production at the moment but he's just having a moment. He's been described by Variety as one of the 10 most exciting up-and-coming directors. I mean, and and his films, a a bit like Kokonos, a bit like the writing of Tsarkas, they kind of meditate on the intersection of ethnicity, class, gender, sexuality. They're a really exciting kind of exploration of all of these ideas. It's such a pity you didn't speak to him because I think Mm. that, I think well, that that's you'd
0: okay. find- the other thing I love about myth are the myth talks and and Goran is actually part of the myth talks he's um, doing a session uh, key directions in screen culture um, I think vCA is actually holding um that one there. so there are opportunities for people to hear from emerging practitioners and and what I love to hear about goran's success story i mean a lot of people that go to film school just kind of imagine that you're just going to come out and push out a story and stuff. And and it takes time to kind of find your voice, but it also takes time for you to find the courage to keep telling your own authentic story because a lot of people will keep telling you, well, that's not going to sell, that's not going to work. So it sounds like Goran has found within himself, you know, just unashamedly, you know be able to tell those stories authentic stories without having to kind of censor himself to sell to a marketplace so it sounds wonderful like absolutely wonderful that goran's getting his work out there but there are other opportunities um to hear from goran himself and and participate in A Q&A if you are interested so do check out Myth talks After watching his film, of course.
2: And after listening to our chat with him, uh,
0: right? Of course. Of course. Well, that's just, you know.
5: (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Outtakes, the home of
0: queer cinema on Joy 94.9.
2: Goran, it is such a pleasure to have you on the program. You are, of course, the director behind Myth's opening night film of an age. It's a critically acclaimed film that continues to generate buzz. Thank you so much for joining us on Outtakes today.
6: I'm very happy to be here. Thank you.
2: Before we get to your new film and all the critical buzz that it's generated... I have just read that you were named among Variety's global 10 directors to watch for 2022. So, quite apart from the buzz that this film is generating, it seems that you are somebody to watch and you are making a name for yourself around the world. How does it feel to be having this moment? I mean, you're clearly having a moment.
6: Oh, I mean, it's uh, very unreal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just for context, I made my first short film 20 years ago, and um, the majority of these many years were spent me being either unemployed or doing shitty day jobs, <laughs> you know, while making like hundreds of short films and writing and, you know, getting nowhere really. So all of 2022 has been kind of like a hallucination. <laughs> really the last two years, actually, um, they've just been um, strange in the most wonderful way, um, and yeah, no, you mentioned the variety I remember waking up to that something like, I mean variety, uh, yeah. It's been a it's been a crazy, crazy time
2: actually. But also it's it's not you know, we talk about having a moment, but as you say, this is twenty years in the making. You've been working at this for years and now what you're seeing is the fruits of all your efforts. Um,
6: well yeah, you kind of um So so I just actually came back from shooting my third film um, a couple of days ago uh, in Macedonia and then I was on the red carpet at at Hamer Hall. Um, I'm still kind of grappling with uh, that turnaround in events. And that's actually a queer film as well. It's just sitting present-day Macedonia. Um, But, um, yeah. Yeah. I I, 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 (laughs) I read that. i all over the place talking about um, you know, the two that are playing in Myth, which feel like they were years ago, because I've spent three
2: months on another film in a very different world. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, let's talk about Last Night, because what a way to, uh, premiere the film. How did it, like, walking the red carpet, you've got your, your, your cast there with you, um, Tom, Hattie, Elias, they were all on the red carpet with you, um how did how did it feel to premiere this film which is a, a, a distinctly melbourne film i mean you, you melbourne pulsates through this film right and you're screening at the melbourne international film festival in a year where the festival is spotlighting melbourne because of course it's a, a special year for the festival i mean the buzz was kind of incredible wasn't it
6: um, yeah, it was, um, it was electric for me. I just, you know, I, uh, the whole experience, I mean, never mind the red carpet, just when we were sitting down and, uh, just listening to the audience. I mean, you know, I was kind of, I haven't seen this film in a while now. Um, it was kind of watching it with slightly fresher eyes. And that was a nice experience in itself, but then just, you know, uh, watching it re- with that audience being very vocal about <laughs> how they were feeling. At all times, it uh, was a very, uh, um, it was very moving, actually. Um, you know, my family was there, my parents, my husband, so um, uh, it was really beautiful. And then even just, like, getting out of the car and suddenly I was being Lindsay Lohan. Like, you know, <laughs> just, I step out of the car and people were taking photos and I'm like, you guys are really confused about who's getting out
2: of the car right now, but I, I don't um, think so. I, 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 reckon they're priming you, as I said, for, um, that first time you walk into the Kodak theater or wherever, ever they hold the Oscars these days. Oh, um, I, I
6: really way more arty and easy <laughs> than any of this things suggest. I'm all of this is very, very strange to me. and unexpected. Wonderful. I'm not complaining at all,
2: but I have to say, you mentioned that your husband was there with you. Um, I was reading an article, uh, an interview that you'd done, and I think it was either The Age or The Herald Sun um, or maybe The Sydney Morning... You, you have to forgive me, I don't remember the, um, right. yep. the the rag, but you had said something about, for you, your husband... Like, you need your books and your husband to feel at home, and you were with your husband mm-hmm. in Macedonia where you were sh- shooting, and that was, you know, half of your home was with you, and I just... That, uh, that sounded so lovely, the way that you'd put that. Your husband and your books is where your home is. I, I, I love that idea.
6: <laughs> um, I was, I was very brain fried at the moment. It's so just pretty much, uh, like I was in the middle of a film shoot and just kind of answering things very bluntly. I don't mean without any forethought or afterthought. But, but yeah, it's true. Um, I kind of, um, uh, not to get too like deep and heavy or whatever, but like I have kind of struggled with, um, having a sense of home, um, uh, even from a young age, um, even before we moved here, um, so yeah, um, and, you know, at some point you have to kind of realize it's sort of uh, it's about you and whether you have the capacity to sort of you know build a home for yourself. And in my case, yeah, it is. It's Maddie and the books. <laughs> I sort of realize is where I feel kind of you know um, in the right place.
2: I really love that, and um, I think I mean, clearly the you know I'll segue to of an age here because of an age. Does feel in many ways like a personal narrative. Is that what you set out to do with this film?
6: Um, yeah, I, I think uh, probably not in ways that people um, are uh, kind of reading into. I think so. It's not autobiographical in the sense none of those events happened to me. I'm mean, not any of those people, you know. But um, obviously, my brain and feelings are kind of all over that film, and. Um, yeah, I was sort of, um, I was just thinking back to, you know, a time where I sort of felt very absent from my life, which was pretty much all of high school, <laughs> um, and just trying to kind of uh, bring back memories and sort of um, reconnect to that period I, I wasn't connected to at the time, and, um, and you know, try I, I, when I was growing up that, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was sort of um, Pretty much I, I was obsessed with cinema very uh, very early, and sort of that's where kind of uh, anything that was important happened at the movies and I felt uh you know my life was distinctly uncinematic I was living you know in a very bland suburb of, of Melbourne and I didn't think that was a story worth telling um and not that I necessarily uh, you know automatically would have felt that way, but I just said that as a challenge to myself to try and um, build a story around a personality very similar to mine, living in a time and place like that, and see if there was a way to make it cinematic and therefore kind of uh, worth telling as a story.
2: Uh, firstly, I love that. Um, but but secondly, I, what I love um, what I loved about the film, and this appears to be a thread throughout your the, the three films. Obviously, I haven't seen the one that you've just wrapped production on, but um, the thread seems to be this kind of meditation on gender and and sexuality and ethnicity and all of these kind of facets of what makes us who we are. There's a kind of real thoughtfulness about all of these. Facets of identity. Is that a conscious premeditation or is that again just a kind of reflection of you and where you're at? Um, in terms of when I,
6: when I write, I sort of just write from the gut. I don't really uh, premeditate anything. I think anytime I sit down and sort of decide what I'm going to write in you know, advance or what theme I'm going to tackle, it just comes out, well, tacky and <laughs> premeditated. So usually, you know, the good stuff or the stuff I feel, you know, connected to that kind of uh, gives me the right feeling in my chest. Um, is stuff that comes from a very raw kind of semi-unconscious place, and you know, all of these films did. I sort of um, am interested in terms of whatever character you know emerges, uh, there, and whatever set of demographics informs them. Um, I, I I try to be as specific and authentic to that as possible, but then connected to something that's deeper at the core and more universal. Um, I I really kind of I mean I do like. Mm. Um, not to knock straight away (laughs) like I really don't mean it in that way Um, but essentially then once they have you know sort of come up with that energy of what the main character is and the you know uh, mindset where they are where they're living and then pretty much telling the story involves like how does this person in this time and place um, given the limitations of their society they're in how do they find a way to live you know a life that is meaningful and worthwhile to them, and how do they, you know? And I'm especially interested in how they can find, like, you know, joy and moments of happiness in very difficult circumstances that don't really lend themselves Mm -hmm. naturally to such things. So, um, and, yeah, that's very much something that defines the the new film, (laughs) the last, in ways that are even more kind of, um, uh, you know, direct, um, like people living in very difficult circumstances, but finding joy in them.
2: Well, look, the, the film has been, like, critically praised And I, I hope that it's going to have, like, a broader theatrical release I'd be shocked if it doesn't I mean, I don't know if there's anything that you can say about that at this stage Because usually all that uh, I mean, stuff's yeah, under wraps uh,
6: uh, I, I believe it's going to be a cinema release it, uh, It's being distributed by uh, Focus Features in America And then Universal um, around the world So we have a distributor And, you know, we had a great experience with them on your and so I would hope this film, or, have yeah, something similar.
2: Well, congratulations. I have to ask you, what are you going to do when Marvel knocks on your door? Is that going to be a yes, <laughs> or is... a <laughs>
6: <laughs> very, very short conversation. I do to, to worry about
2: <laughs> 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 the future. <laughs> uh, you, you, you never know. I mean, Kate Shortland...
6: Oh, look, I mean, I respect a lot of the filmmakers who, you know, venture into those waters. Um, I genuinely don't have that interest I don't think Marvel has any interest in me anyway <laughs> 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 um, you know
4: um, and, and
6: I've I've never really been drawn by something that apparently makes sense for me strategically career wise or financially like yeah um, I, after Sundance this year I had a lot of you know very uh, what on paper seemed like very impressive offers Um, that you know came with an income as opposed to what I ended up pursuing which was like a tiny Macedonian film <laughs> about like you know uh, queer women in Skopje. So, um, I, I yeah, I, I, I don't really operate in that
2: way. I, I. Love that. Good for you. Um, I, I, I can't wait to see this third feature. Um, I, I suspect it will show at MIF if not next year, the year after, and we'll have to have you back on the program at that time. I mean,
6: that would be, that would be really wonderful. I would have <laughs> the same. Yeah.
2: Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. No, thank
6: you so much. This is lots of fun. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
2: That was Goran Stilewski, the director of Of An Age, the Melbourne-based director of Of An Age, which screened as the opening night film at this year's Melbourne International Film Festival and has been receiving critical acclaim. Uh, Goran Stilewski also has another film screening at this year's festival, You Won't Be Alone. Head to miff.com.au to get tickets to You Won't Be Alone or Of An Age. Both films definitely worth seeing. Now we are spotlighting the Melbourne International Film Festival on Outtakes today. We did speak with the artistic director of the Melbourne International Film Festival, Al Kosa, who is like a font of knowledge. Uh, A couple of weeks ago now, head to joy.org.au forward slash outtakes to catch our chat with artistic director Al Kosa. We look at the full program in our chat with Al. But we are now joined by myth programmer Kate Fitzpatrick to talk specifically about the Melbourne on Film book that's been released as part of the festivals celebrations of course this is the 70th melbourne international film festival so the festival is doing a bunch of different things to uh celebrate its birthday and one of those things is releasing an anthology of essays called melbourne on film cinema that defines our city and it it includes a number of different personal responses from academics comedians, filmmakers, uh, personal responses to different films about Melbourne. So we're really excited to spotlight Melbourne on film on the program today. And a big welcome to the Outtake studio to Kate Fitzpatrick, who is a program manager at the Melbourne International Film Festival. She's worked in the arts for a number of years, uh, including for organizations like Acme. She's served on the jury for the Melbourne Fringe and presented at a bunch of film festivals around the world. So, uh, Kate, welcome to Outtakes and thank you for joining us today at what is a really busy but exciting time for cinephiles around the country. Oh,
5: absolutely. Um, it's exciting to be here. It's just been such a joy to since we started on Thursday, um, feeling that collective excitement from the audience to be back in cinemas. It's, it's really, truly wonderful after two years online.
2: Yeah, cuz this is the first year in oh, about 3 years now that the festival's mm-hmm. at full capacity and what a, like a monumental program you guys have put together. It is like quite a feat over 370 films.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. Just like the good old days. I think we've all been really champing at the bit to get back to that.
2: But of course in in 3 weeks or you know an added week if you factor in myth play, you just can't see 370 films so you know <laughs> you, you've got to be judicious about what you see right? So I'm keen to hear from you. Now I know as a programmer, you know might not feel comfortable answering this but what is your what is your favorite film screening at this year's festival if you had to pick one?
5: Oh my, that is a really really tough um, tough question to answer because even even top five I find really difficult to, to narrow things down to. But I guess the, the film I'm I'm really passionate about is is a kind of an underrated gem that I saw in Rotterdam. The African Desperate. It's a it's a, a first time feature film by Martine Symes, who's an LA based visual artist and it's it's kind of like this acerbic uh, look parody of um, the art college world, um, focusing on this young woman whose name is Pallas who's just completed her um, Masters of Fine Arts and she's just dealing with a whole lot of uh, prejudice against her. And it's just a really fantastic film. It's really funny. It's really inventive. Um, And it's the kind of film that, you know, could, because as you say, uh, with 370 films to choose from, it's the kind of film that could maybe fall through the cracks. So I really like to highlight it because I'd love for people not to miss out.
2: Well, I wanted to ask you about that as well. And maybe I should have put this question to you first. But what is one film that is going to fall through the cracks? What is one film that you're scared is going to fall through the cracks and that you really, you know, you wish people would would go and see.
5: Um, I mean, yeah, that that could be true of a number of films. There's another film that I I really, really love, which is actually another uh, feature debut called Lola. And it's just this really, another really fantastic inventive look at filmmaking um, in that it's presented as a found footage film. It's about these two sisters growing up, um, living in 1940s England, and they've invented a time machine. Um, But it's a, Time Machine in that it looks to the future. So they discover punk music before it's actually ever happened. And they fall in love with David Bowie's music before he's even born. So it's just a really fantastic, interesting Inventive film.
2: I mean, we've been spotlighting the festival in quite some depth for the past couple of weeks, and obviously now the festival is in its full throes, so we're all kind of like knee deep in this wonderful program. But just hearing you talk about these films, I mean, there is something so exciting about having such fresh, innovative cinema on our screens again. I feel like for the last However many years, it's just been Marvel flick after Marvel flick, and all this <laughs> generic crap, frankly. And Ooh. and now, once again, we have some of the best cinema from the world on our screens, and it's just so exciting.
5: Oh, it is absolutely! It is for us too. I mean, it's just great to be uh, to have that reaffirmation of of myth's place in the cinema landscape. The fact that you can see things that if we didn't show them, you. A, you might not have ever heard of them, and B, they're really hard to track down. Like, there's not really anywhere else that you can see them.
2: And... Obviously, this is the 70th year of the Melbourne International Film Festival. That's such a ginormous feat and milestone. Um. So firstly, congratulations. How exciting to be part of the festival at this time. Uh, But secondly, the festival is doing so much to celebrate. And one of the things I really wanted to spotlight on the program today is the Melbourne on Film Anthology book that's been published uh, as part of these celebrations, it, it's such a interesting and fascinating and hallmark collection of essays.
5: Oh, it is! It's um, you know uh, we worked so hard on the the film program in the first instance, and then my colleague Kate Jinks um, went to great lengths um, to organise the writers for the book that's been published. Um, all this amazing collection of essays. About certain films that are in the program, um, and rather than focus on, you know, the kind of the filmmaking side of things, what we really were after were people's personal responses to films, so their mm. personal experience in um, what kind of relationship they have with the film, and it really ranges from a, a lot of really great, you know, seeing the film for the first time, or a, a more kind of academic approach. To, to things, um, so it's really, I really feel like the, the book of essays has got this great kind of, um, different kind of perspective on different films and it might make you see the film in a totally different way, which I, I think is a really exciting proposition too.
2: Now we should probably say, in case it's not like abundantly clear from the title of the book Melbourne on Film, uh, this is an anthology that celebrates the place of Melbourne in cinema.
5: Absolutely. So the, the book is actually called Melbourne on Film, Cinema That Defines Our City. Um, it's got this terrific introduction by Christos Cholkers who has this really great um, personal story about being overseas and seeing an Australian film it, it, and his connection to the film industry. Um, and there were certain films from within the film program because the film program itself is is quite extensive. It's like 25 features along with a whole bunch of shorts that, screen with them and a package of, of short films as well and some home movies. Um so these are select films that people have had a particular response to. Um and it's yeah it, some fantastic writers from Osmond Faruqi, um Tristan Harwood, Ronnie Scott, Judith Lucy, uh, Rebecca Harkins Cross. Um it's it's a whole mix of people that have great responses to films that they felt really passionate to talk about
2: so the the anthology, kind of sits neatly alongside your Melbourne on film strand of films. And of course, uh, there's some really exciting classic Melbourneian film screening as part of that strand. Uh, and then in this anthology, each essay picks up on a film that's screening as part of that strand. And it's really exciting to see some iconic queer films featuring both in that strand and as part of this anthology.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really important to us to have a good mix of representation across lots of different, diverse parts of this city and parts of the communities in this city. Um, one particular film—I um, mean, we've got essays on um, Head On, we've got uh, an essay, obviously, on Love and Other Catastrophes—but um, there's a film that I think is—it's really. It's called Homosexuality, a Film for Discussion, and it's by Barbara Creed. Um, My colleague Kate Jinks actually wrote the essay that is in the book about this, and it's just an absolutely wonderful essay um, dissecting her personal discovery of the film, her response to the film, how it spoke to her as a queer person um and the film itself is just an absolute gem um the the filmmaker takes to the streets of melbourne um and asks them quite you know very candid questions about their thoughts on homosexuality um and the responses are really wonderful like they're quite a unexpected mix of responses like not what you would expect i think
2: uh, i can't I've, I've ordered my copy of the book i'm just i'm, oh, I'm waiting to pick it up <laughs> i can't wait to get my hands on it uh, how can people get a copy of the book
5: um if you go to our website um you can you can order it through there but you can order the book is being stocked in a uh, lots of local bookshops um you can get it from uh, readings it's also being stocked at the acme bookshop um, so, yeah, uh, you'll find it uh, Brunswick Street Bookstore. Lots of local bookstores will have have the um, the book.
2: <laughs> what a great way to take some of the Melbourne International Film Festival home with you. I just think it's such a great initiative. So congratulations on a great book, a great program, and a, a, a really exciting way to kind of dip our toes back into the festival experience.
5: Absolutely, yeah, thank you. That's exactly what it was meant to be, this um, lovely memento to commemorate. MIV, but um, our 70, it's um, specifically.
2: Mm. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for speaking to us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the program.
5: Oh, thank you so much. It was lovely to talk.
2: That was Kate Fitzpatrick, Program Manager at the Melbourne International Film Festival, speaking to us about Melbourne on Film, the festival's new anthology book, which has been released to celebrate the festival's 70th anniversary. What a milestone. What a great anthology. Now, we are celebrating the Melbourne International Film Festival ourselves today on Outtakes. We did speak with Goran Stalewski earlier in the program, the director of Of An Age, which is this great new queer Australian film that's opened the festival and screens. Uh, It's got a number of screenings throughout the festival, so you can still see it uh, if if uh, we've piqued your interest But another really great queer Australian film screening at the Melbourne International Film Festival is Craig Boham's Lonesome Now Craig joined us on the program a few years ago to talk about his then debut feature film Teenage Kicks uh, And like Teenage Kicks, Lonesome is a really interesting take on what it means to be a young queer Australian today Lonesome is a film about Casey, a young man who grew up on a ranch in rural Australia, but moves to Sydney when he is rejected by his father after being outed as gay. And really, it's a film about Casey's search for meaning and connection. Conrad, Alan, I know that you've both seen this this new film. What What's your take on Craig Borham's Lonesome?
1: It's not a story that we haven't seen before. It's got elements that are, are new, I guess, but it is very much a a story that we've seen, where the you know young queer kid is kind of running away from his past and goes to the big city to try and find himself and figure it out. And along the way, meets people who help him get there. There was elements to it that were really interesting and it was great to see it from an Australian perspective in lots of ways. Um, The performances were pretty good. It looked really great. It just wasn't a film for me that broke new ground and that's okay. This is just another one to add to the long line of, of these types of films, I guess.
4: You know, Conrad, I agree with everything you said. I think, uh, but but for me, there was also another element that that I thought was quite interesting with this film, or a, or a standout really, and I I really liked its honesty about the sexual relationships that occur online on those random sexual mm. encounters, and almost the commodification of mm. these the sexual. Um, interludes essentially, and, and just how transactional they are. And I thought it was a very honest mm. presentation yep. of what it's like to be in your early 20s at that stage and just, you know, randomly, well, for, well, I guess, um, wholeheartedly exploring your sexual self and just how, how, uh, at, at times, those sorts of encounters can be, at at times, incredibly uplifting, and at other times, incredibly soul destroying. And I thought, mm. I thought they communicated that very, very well. Our, our cowboy uh, sort of had to sell himself to and to to get by. That that was one element of that sort of commodification that I felt really uncomfortable with. I think it really portrayed older gay men as uh, as predators, mm. and and that really made me feel uncomfortable. And I thought that this was. Uh, It was uh, it was a cliche almost, and I thought we could have done without that cliche.
2: Well, we've seen that kind of descent, and and it was a descent in this film. It was painted as a descent. Um, we've seen that in films like Savage, for instance, um, in a somewhat less queer film, shame, Michael Fassbender's shame, there's the same descent into kind of hardcore sex as a kind of outlet and as a kind of metonym for what the character is going through this kind of, uh, quote unquote debasement. Um, uh, that's, that's certainly how it was painted in this film. I understand what you're saying. I I agree with both of you that one of the the best things I think about this film was its nuanced look at sexual relationships and monogamy, because both in this film were painted as both beautiful and sinister at the same time. Um, Mm. I think the film did well to explore the gamut of different sexual relationships and the way that sexual relationships can be both healthy and really, really unhealthy.
1: It's super gay. Oh, it's super gay. Lots of nudity. They don't... That's the other thing I take my hat off to is, is, yeah, it was unflinching in, in its way that they did that. And those actors, man, full frontal nudity... Not a problem. Well, if it was a problem, they got they handled it very well because um yeah, they're in various states of undress for most of the film.
4: And well that's I don't think
1: there was definitely there was no prosthetic devices here and no
4: modesty socks.
2: <laughs> that's the thing about this film, right? It is unashamedly Australian and unashamedly queer. And it is by queer Australians for queer Australians. And I know, Conrad, you say in many ways this story is something that we've seen before. And in some ways it is, but... I don't recall seeing this story by queer Australians for queer Australians. So that in itself is something new and fresh and something to be excited about and frankly applaud. So I'm really glad that we get to spotlight it on the program today. I did sit down with Craig Bohan, the director of the film. He's no stranger to the program, joined us a few years back for Teenage Kicks. I asked Craig what his influences were in putting together this kind of Western, new Australian queer flick. And this is what Craig had to say
3: we spent a lot of time um, looking at uh, classic westerns you know like like pulling pulling out um, inspiration from those kind of films and also more more queer classics like just looking at ca- a, lot of, a lot of camp cinema like looking at some some Fastbinder and some and some you know those kinds of because we wanted we wanted it to feel a little bit very grounded in, in, in a, in a real world situation, but also a little, a little more heightened and a little more, you know, saturated in its colors and a little grander.
2: Thematically here, you're playing with a lot of really interesting themes, of course, as the name would suggest. Um, this is an exploration of what it means to be alone, I guess, in in many ways. And it's, um, in in many ways that's very interesting when you're borrowing from the Western canon um, and the way that the landscape can inform that sense of loneliness.
3: Yeah, definitely. And those solitary cowboy figures that, that have this um, rough and tough exterior, but you know, you never really know what's going on under the surface. We get a sense of longing or or that sort of thing. And I think I was interested in in that. Well, pretty much for all the characters, all the all the characters are are wearing some kind of mask or, or have some kind of wall up around them that they've built. And and there's there's little cracks little cracks in there that expose the stuff that's going on under the surface. I, I, I love that stuff. I love, I love playing with that stuff in writing, and I love, I love working with actors to find those things.
2: Mm, and I love the juxtaposition in this film of that classic kind of um, Western canon or the tropes from that canon with um, essentially the online grinder age. I mean, you're throwing these yeah. two ideas together, and it's really productive and informative.
4: Yeah,
3: they, they they kind of aligned really really well, I, I think. And, and and again, it was really interesting to 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 look at that, to look at sort of um, fleeting hookup culture and 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 think about the little relationships that form in those moments that that might become kind of random, but you know, there's an exchange, there's stuff going on.
2: Yeah, well, in many ways, it felt like you were saying something about the vacuity of, I mean, to me, and obviously uh, audiences will interpret the film differently. But for me, it felt like the film was saying something about the vacuity of gay sex culture. And it was interesting in that way, because, of course, um, the sense I got was that this sex culture was in many ways as vacuous as the Western landscape
3: yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking, of, I mean, sex plays a, a big part in the film, and I think it's, it's serving a lot of different purposes. Sometimes it's a healing moment, or sometimes it's a, it's a violent moment, or, or you know, there was a, there was a lot going on, and I, and I, and I think, yeah, I was kind of exploring that idea of, um you know, that transactional nature of it, where there's, there's not supposed to be any, any real intimacy, it's it's just fleeting, but that that can be troublesome. Things things can just happen.
2: At the same time, at the same time, this is a film of, in many ways to me it felt like a film about a search for meaning and a search for connection. But there were times in the film where that desire for connection felt quite sinister as well.
3: Yeah, well that that was that was something I was thinking about as well I was writing it. It was kind of like this you have this character who who kind of thinks that they want this thing, but then they don't really know how to negotiate this thing, and maybe maybe something maybe there's something else that's 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 more suited to them, and then you have the character of Tib, who's who's much much less inclined towards um, monogamy or, or um, you know, conventional relationships, and and what that what that looks like when those things clash together
2: as our listeners will be able to tell from our conversation so far, the film does grapple with some very heavy themes. Um, emotionally it's very heavy physically. I have no doubt that as, um, as a crew and um, as as actors can only have been a very kind of demanding, grueling production. Your cast are really putting themselves out there um, emotionally, physically for this film. How did you create a safe working environment where you could do this and where your actors and your, your crew could, could put themselves out there like this?
3: I mean, it was pretty... Like, we talked about it a lot. We had a lot of... Um... You started from the script. I like I put in the script exactly what was going to be on the screen, so people knew from the get go what they were in for. And that was, you know, that was a big part of the casting process. A lot of people were like, "Ah, uh, yeah, that's full on won't <laughs> do yeah. that." But um, but we had an intimacy coordinator in the working on the film, Leah Pellenkoff, who was amazing. Um, and she's a queer woman, so she was very um. Understanding of of um what we wanted on the screen and how to get it and how to work with the cast. So it, it was very it was very much it was a very controlled process. Everyone had a lot of control. It's one of the one of the few times on set that actors have the have the right to sh- stop everything, shut things down if things aren't feeling okay or mm. feeling safe. So, so there was there was very much conversations about that stuff. But it's it was actually a lot of fun. I think once once everyone went through that process and knew knew where where they were comfortable with and what they weren't comfortable with and everyone knew what they were comfortable with and what they weren't comfortable with together. Um it kind of freed up a lot of stuff. So everyone everyone felt pretty it was actually it was actually much more relaxed than you would imagine, I think, on on, on set. And the set I mean the sets were like there's a lot of intimacies. So sets were quite small, though the, the crew was paired back to next to nothing for those kind of moments. So it was like it was almost like the actors were just in the room, doing doing their thing.
2: Mm. In many ways, that kind of emotional and physical lack of restraint is so at the heart of, of this film. It's so vital to the film. So, I mean you couldn't you couldn't have told this story without that kind of commitment.
3: Yeah, yeah. And the two leads were um, great. They were they were so supportive of each other and really, you know, protective of each other. They wanted to make sure everyone with each other were when looked after. Him.
2: I think the other thing that you touched on there, which is really interesting, is that, um, you know, I mean, it, it sounds almost um, elementary to say this is an Australian film and there's a distinct Australian aesthetic, I think, that flows through the film. Um, how has that informed its reception overseas? Because, of course, you've been doing the festival circuit now. Um, you, How many countries have you taken this film to so far?
3: Uh, so far we've screened, we screened in Seattle, then we were at Guadalajara International Film Festival in Mexico, and then we were in San Francisco for Out uh, for, um, Frameline for Pride during Pride week, which was amazing.
2: Yeah. Can <laughs> only can only I was, imagine what, what did you <laughs> films has already had?
3: I know. Well, we did, we did Guadalajara one week and then we flew to Frameline, um. For pride, so it was, a, it was a real contrast of being in in um, deep in Mexico and then and then the US. But it did. Um, I mean, I was I was interested in that. I was wondering how it would translate to you know American audiences. Like, I think we did a Q and A, and someone didn't know what a paddock was. They didn't know the word. Paddock. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that was probably, that was probably the one big you know thing that was culturally you know missing for them. But but other than that, I think the um, the journey of the characters is relatable, even if it's a different landscape. You know, people, people like seeing this side of Sydney or this side of Australia that they haven't really seen.
2: That was Craig Borham, the director of Lonesome, speaking to us about his new film, which screens as part of the Melbourne International Film Festival. We are, of course, spotlighting the festival today on Outtakes. It's been a bumper program. We spoke with Goran Stolevski about Of An Age, Kate Fitzpatrick about the new book, Melbourne on Film... And Craig Borham, of course, about his new film, Lonesome. Thank you to Goran, Kate and Craig for joining us on the program today. Conrad, Gina, Alan, so much to be excited about this year with the Melbourne International Film Festival. We are now about way through... The festival, and really, I feel like no matter how, no matter how long we look at this program, we're only going to scrape the tip of the iceberg, right? It's such a mammoth program. So, to all of our listeners, head to miff.com.au where you can find out more about the program, or indeed catch our chat at joy.org.au forward slash outtakes with artistic director of the Melbourne International Film Festival, Al Kossar. Quickly, before we go, Gina, I want to hear from you. A week and a half left of the festival. What is one film that you're really looking forward to?
0: Well, it's more that I kind of hope people revisit this because it's really difficult to actually see really well and it's the film movie now which is kind of like the 19 kind of 83 you know coming of age story it is quintessentially Melbourne it was based um so Jan Sardi I think wrote the play first it was based in his experience as a school teacher at the time Jan Sardi's work especially as a wog in this country at that time navigating your your Greek culture or your Italian culture and being Australian like this spoke to me on so many levels, so many of Jan um, early work did. Um, but to see a film at, at that quality, like you can't see like these films on this sort of quality anymore, you know, nobody's got a VHS player. Y- you do have to kind of see it either in the cinema or um, by Mythplay Play to, to really get the essence of how good that film was. But
2: to see it, it as well, good. Gina, at yeah. the Melbourne International Film Festival yeah. with an audience it's the cinema-going experience, right?
0: Look, it, it, these are really important Australian films. And I know we always talk about, you know, um, Head On and and kind of other films that we see replayed at these festivals, but films like this, we just don't see. Um, this and, of course, Love and Other Catastrophes, to see these kind of gorgeously low-budget, you know, significant Australian stories, please go and see them. They're really important stories and they've helped, you know, make other, you know bring other filmmakers um, to to start telling their own stories as well.
1: Just what you touched on before, Daniel, about finding um, queer content in the more broader part of um, the program, there's a fantastic-looking film called um, Call Jane, which is directed by um, Phyllis Nagy, um, who also... What? Phyllis has ventured
2: into directing.
1: Yeah. Good for her. um, She is obviously the... um, the, uh, wrote the screenplay... For Carol, um, yeah, I'm believing this is like one of her first kind of forays into film directing. And what a cast and what a story. Um, Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver star as activists providing abortions and a lifeline to desperate women prior to Roe vs. Wade. Super timely, total Oscar bait, I encourage you to watch the trailer. Um, I'm pretty sure Elizabeth Banks is going to be nominated for many awards. Um, for this for this film and i'm super excited
2: to how, see how how have i not heard of this film before what's the name of the film you just gonna
1: get onto it really daniel i think you know <laughs> like you just have to really love film and kind of i don't know just uh, no, what, joking. i joking i literally stumbled across it i went sigourney weaver Elizabeth i know Reigns? right
0: yeah. what's the name
2: of the film
1: <laughs> the film is call jane call jane um, and there's yeah there's still a ton of sessions um coming up
2: oh my goodness that's gone
0: Sigourney I know right
2: that's gone straight know, right? <laughs> to the top of my list but look there's there's so much to see over 370 films so many different experiences talks this is the festival of all festivals and it's really exciting so we're going to continue to spotlight it on outtakes and of course I'm, co- I'm cognizant that we haven't done a whole lot of reviewing today so next week on outtakes we're going to dive right into some reviews of our favorite fair showing at the festival Um, so keep tuning in to outtakes for your one-stop shop for everything queer at this year's melbourne international film festival otherwise that's it for another week of outtakes
4: you've been listening to
3: outtakes the home of queer film and television on joy 94.9 want to catch up on past episodes head to joy.org.au forward slash outtakes or search outtakes on your favorite podcast platform